Hey guys, if we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you guys. If you are new here, I would love to chat with you after uh, and uh, yeah, get to know you a bit and uh, yeah, we can talk more. But uh, make sure if you've got a Bible, uh, you know, make sure you've got it open uh, to Exodus 24 or get it out on your phone or whatever. It's really important that, that you're able to see it. But I'm going to pray as we look at uh, God's Word this morning. Let's pray. Our Father God, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that the words that are exchanged between us would not just be mere words, but you would, through your Holy Spirit, take them. You would engraft them onto our, into our hearts and minds, that we will be changed as we encounter you in your word. Lord, for, for all of us here, this is the most important time of the week where we hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us hearts and minds that are humble and are open and are willing to hear what you say and to be changed. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm not sure what you do when you're on public transport, but I always read a book. Usually no one's talking and it's great. I get to read a thrilling book on, on, I don't know, archaeology or something, something that I find thrilling. You probably don't. That's okay. But I remember a couple of months ago, I was on the train and I was reading a thrilling book and I was reading it and yet then there were these two, two uh, ladies that were probably around uni age and they had decided to have a conversation, a really loud conversation. And I was like, ah, oh, I'm one of those readers that I can't read a book unless it's relatively quiet, right? And so I couldn't read my book, so I checked in my pockets to see if I have my headphones. I was going to listen to some music. I had forgotten my headphones, or I'd left it at my home, so I would read. And so I was like, oh, what am I going to do for the next 20 minutes? And so I thought, well, they're kind of really loud. I'll just listen to their conversation, right? You've done it too, okay? We've all done it, okay? Don't judge me, right? And I was, I was listening to them. And at one point in the conversation, one of the girls was saying, well, um, you know, how do you know when a, a guy that you've been dating wants to actually be in a formal relationship? How do you know if, if you've gone from friends to being a boyfriend or girlfriend, that kind of thing? And they were both lamenting that, that it seemed like they were both in relationships where there, it was in that time when they were going, are we going out, are we not, or what, what, what's, what's happening here? And they were puzzled, right? And then this older lady, she would have been in her 80s or 90s, and she said, yeah, back in my day, uh, what happened was if a boy really liked you, he would come around to your place for family dinner. And he would say both to you and your dad, I want to go steady with you, what do you think? And I could see the look on the girl's face go, oh, I need a solution, but that's not it, right? They, they were like, that, that's going to be more awkward and intimidating. But the question remained, how do you know when a boy wants to get into a relationship with you if you're a girl nowadays? How do you know that, right? Here's the question. In, in, in this day that we're looking at in, in, in the book of Exodus, around this time, how do you know that a God wanted to be in relationship with you or someone else wanted to be in relationship with you? Like a formal relationship, not just friends who hang out, but how do you know? The answer is covenant. What they would do is they would say the God or maybe a business partner or someone or a marriage partner 
they would say, we're going to put a formal covenant together where we're going to make agreements on either side. You are going to say, this is what I'm going to do. And you're going to, the other person would say, this is what I'm going to do. And you will put that in a covenant. How do you know, how did Israel know that the God of the Bible wanted to be not just a God who saves them once, but in permanent relationship with them? The answer is today, in Exodus 24, he actually comes into covenant with them, an agreement with them. And and what we're going to see is that we're actually also in a covenant because of what Jesus has done, and our covenant is so much better. But as we look at this passage, we're going to see three things. We're going to see three things about this covenant. It is a covenant of forgiveness and celebration. It is a covenant of grace. And it is a covenant that requires response. It's a covenant of forgiveness and celebration, a covenant of grace, and a covenant of that requires a response. Now, if you haven't been here with us, we've been looking at the book of Exodus. We we go through books of the Bible. And Exodus can can be summarized like this. Exodus is all about God saving his people from slavery and bringing them into his service. In the first 19 chapters, 1 to 19, God saves his people from being in slavery in Egypt And from 20 to 40, he says, this is what it is to be my people, to serve me. And what we've seen, if you've been reading along with the book of Exodus, in chapters 20 to 23, God gives them a bunch of laws. He is saying, if you want to be my people, this is how you are to live. And in this chapter, we see that they actually say, yes, this is how I want to live, how we want to live. And so they form a covenant. And let's have a look at the first point, that this is a covenant of forgiveness and celebration. Have a look with me at verse 4. Moses then wrote down everything that the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountains and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. So Moses just writes down everything that God has said and he sets up an altar. He sets up the the stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Business is going to happen here. And then what happens? Verse 5. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Now here's the thing. We We don't do sacrifices now. And so when you read verse 5 and you go, well, there's two different types of sacrificing. Isn't that a bit bit of overkill? I wonder if you saw it. There are burnt offerings where you would kind of basically kill something and burn it. And then there's fellowship offerings. So why, why have two? Well, because they do two different things. See, a burnt offering in the Bible, in the Old Testament is an offering that says God has dealt with his anger and wrath against sin. The, the, the idea is that God is furiously angry and his anger burns. And instead of that anger coming against us, it goes on to this burnt offering and they, they take the punishment that we deserve. And a fellowship offering is a celebration offering. It's celebrating the fact that now we have got fellowship with God. And so it was a party kind of offering. And yet we then see, 
that there's two different ways they use the blood. Have a look at verse 6 with me. Moses took half the blood and put it on bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Why would you splash against the altar? Well, the altar in, in the ancient Near East was the place where you would put a sacrifice uh, and, so, and to appease God's wrath. So, so he is putting blood against the altar to say, this blood was shed so that we're forgiven. And then it goes on. Have a look at verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, you're probably thinking, man, I'm glad I wasn't there. Can you imagine like you're just one of the Israelites and, God, and Moses is just sprinkling blood all over you, thinking, man, I just bought this shirt. It doesn't work. But, what, but what's happening here, right? This is part of the fellowship offering once again. It is saying, because of this blood, you have got, now you've got fellowship with God, the God who is all holy, the God who created everything, the God who is there now, now guess what? You are in a right relationship with him. You can have fellowship with him. So here there are two sacrifices, one that deals with forgiveness of sin and one that says, hey, this is a celebration. You, have got, you are in relationship with God one that deals with your sin. One says your sin has been dealt with, therefore celebrate. One says your sin is no more. The one says party like your sin is no more. I don't know about you, but uh, I always think it's funny to watch um, celebrations of grand final teams especially in basketball, right? Here's what I find funny. I find it funny because there's always at least one person who the whole of the finals, the whole of the playoffs, basically did not get in the, on the court. They did nothing to help their team win. And yet, you see them drenched in champagne, celebrating at the top of their lungs. They're just screaming, and everyone's celebrating, Right? And they are to, even though they did nothing to help, they did nothing. Other people won it all, and yet they are celebrating. Here's the beautiful thing. If you read the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus, God did it all. God saved them. They didn't do anything, and yet God says, guess what, still celebrate. You, you did nothing to save yourself, but celebrate and can I just say, if you follow the Lord Jesus, that's, that's true for you. You did not do anything that, that, that helped with your salvation. All you and I did with our salvation is bring our sin that we needed to be saving from. And yet God in Jesus took the punishment for your and my sin. And therefore, what should you do? Well, you should celebrate, shouldn't you? You should celebrate the fact that God has saved you. I mean, don't we celebrate? We, we celebrate a fair bit, don't we? We celebrate, you know, when, when a baby is born, appropriately we celebrate. When people are married, we appropriately celebrate. When someone uh, has a, a birthday, we, we, we celebrate. And yet that, 
that news, all that news, though, though, though it's very, very good, is nothing compared to the fact that God has saved you. You didn't do anything, but God has saved you, and therefore celebrate. And that's what we do when we get together at church. Church is meant to be a celebration of the fact that God has saved you and me. And how do we celebrate? We celebrate by singing. And that's why at church we love to sing. That's why we sing is because we're celebrating the fact that God has saved us. And so, as you come to church, are you ready to celebrate? Are you ready to be reminded of what God has done and celebrate? So some of us here, we love to come to church because we love to celebrate. Some of us, I just find that whole celebrate and revive very, very hard. Because, I, I don't know, maybe things are going on in our lives, some of us, that just don't feel this connection with church or with, with, with Jesus like we had. So celebrating is tough. Can I say, if you're in that position where your heart is not engaged with Jesus or church, can I say, I think that's a problem, and we would love to help you. Why don't you talk to me or Tim or one of the people on staff, because we'd love to sort that out, because we want you to come with hearts full, ready to celebrate all that Jesus has done. Because when Jesus died on the cross for you, he won your forgiveness. So therefore, we should celebrate. Just as this covenant in, in chapter 24 of Exodus what was a covenant of forgiveness and celebration, we have a covenant that is so much better. Because guess what? We didn't have to sacrifice over and over and over again. It was one sacrifice, Jesus, once for all. And therefore, we celebrate for eternity. It is so much better. And so we got so much more to celebrate. But not only is it a covenant of forgiveness and celebration, it is a covenant of grace. Have a look at verse 8 with me. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Now, one of the things, uh, look, I, I hate to get grammatical with you, but did you notice the verb that the Lord has made? Who, what, who did the making of the covenant? It was God and God alone. In covenants back, back, back in, in this day, it is two people that make a covenant together. And yet this one, it's God who has made the covenant alone. He has put everything forward. He has made the covenant and you see this if you, if you just flip back to, to chapter 23. Have a look at 23, verse 32 with me. 23, 32, it's gone from my Bible. It says this, Do not make a covenant with them or their gods. Did you see verse 32 of chapter 23? The idea is that the Israelites and the people around them who don't worship the God of the Bible, he says, don't make a covenant. You guys have got to make a covenant if you're going to be in covenant with another God. But God says, I, I alone have made this covenant. I have done it. I have done it all. And what should you do? Well, have a look once again at verses 3 and 6. What are they meant to do? They're meant to respond with obedience. 
God has done it all. It requires just you respond. This is a covenant of grace. They have, God has done it all for them. This is by grace alone. And it's very, very, very different from the idols around. One of the things um, I had to do uh, earlier this, this semester is uh, I'm at uni, I'm studying ancient history, and one of the things that we had to do is we had to look at um, a, bunch of, uh, a bunch of writings about the gods around the time of the Bible. And, and a lot of scholars were saying, well, the God of the Bible is just like the gods around the ancient Near East. And what I found over and over and over again is that they're very, very different. Scholars would say, well, they use the same language here and the same language here. They say that he's got power over this here, they've got power over this there. The big difference is grace. The God of the Bible says, I've done everything for you, therefore come. The gods of the nations say, guess what? Come and I will give you everything. God says, I have saved you and blessed you, so give your life to me. The idols say, give your life to me and then I'll bless you. God says, I have forgiven you and you don't need to earn my favor. Idols say, guess what? You need to work hard to earn my favor. God says, I have done everything to establish this relationship. Idols say that you have to do everything to establish the relationship. This is a covenant of grace, of sheer grace. But, but some of us may ask, well, well Hans, I'm not an Israelite from 3,000 odd years ago. Well, we don't have like all these idols around us. I would say, yes, we do. We just have different ones. You, you see, one, one, of the, one of the things about the human heart is that we can make anything an idol because all we've got to do to make an idol is put it at the centre of our lives and, and think that if we give our lives to it, we're going to have everything. So what we do is we work very, 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 very hard at our job thinking that if I get to this level, then my life will be complete. Or we think about money and we just think if I work really hard and get all this money or all these possessions, then my life will be complete. Or if I give myself to my sexuality completely, then my life will be complete. But do you see, the idols of today are just like the idols back then. They all say, give your life to me and then I will bless you. But God says, guess what? I have blessed you in Jesus I have done it all, therefore, respond to me. And so, so what should we do? We should realize that the idols of our age are giving us empty promises. They don't deliver. They say, give, you, give me your life. And yet they don't deliver. But God, through his grace, has delivered in Jesus. Therefore, we... Obey him. And that's the last point. This is a covenant that requires a response. Have a look at verse 3 with me again. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. That They hear God's word and it's very enthusiastic, can't you see? Everything that the Lord has said we will do. Have a look at verse 6. 
it says this, Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls and the other half splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything that the Lord has said. We will obey. They are saying, hey, guess what? All these laws, we want to be your people, God. Therefore, we're going to obey you in every area of our lives because you are this God. I wonder if you've made that commitment. They have been saved from Egypt and they say, therefore, I'm going to obey. You, if you trust in the Lord Jesus, uh, have you said, I have been saved by Jesus, therefore, I'm going to obey. Therefore, when he says, I've got to order my life this way, I've got to obey. Have you done that? One of, the, one of the ironic things about them saying that is if you know the Bible, or even if you know the book of Exodus, you know that these words are very enthusiastic, and I say very, very sincere, but they don't carry over. Because as we're going to see next week in chapter 32, Moses is up the mountain conversing with God and they think he's gone away for a bit too long. So what do they do? They break the first, command, the, the first four commandments in one go. They actually produce an idol, the golden calf. They don't obey God. The, the, their words are big, but actually they don't follow through. Before I became a, a pastor, I was, uh, I was uh, trying to earn a living as a guitarist. And there were times when we needed to put an audition out there and get musicians in. And and it's very, very interesting. You will put an ad somewhere, whether on a certain type of magazine or on the internet, and people would email in or call you. And you would say, hey, here are the five songs you've got to learn and um, make sure you learn them. Here's when you're going to audition, and that's fine. And I would follow that up a week later and say, hey, how are you going with those five songs? They would always go, yeah, it's going well. And then the day of, when they came in, I said, how are you going with those songs? They always said, yeah, man, it's going well. And it was interesting, within two minutes, you realise that 80% of the guys who were auditioning didn't actually do the work. They were very enthusiastic. They said they were going to, but they did not back it up. Here is Israel, unfortunately... They said they were going to obey and they have not backed it up. I wonder if that's some of us here. We come to church, we say, hey, I follow the Lord Jesus, but our lives do not back it up, whether it be at home or in our workplaces. People know that we follow Jesus, but actually we don't back it up. Yeah, they're enthusiastic words. And I would say sincere words, but our lives do not back it up. What what area of your life is incongruent with the faith that you profess? What area of your life do you say, yeah, I follow the Lord Jesus, but actually this part of my life doesn't? If Jesus has died for you, if you are partakers of a better covenant, what should we be doing? Well, we should be people of obedience, people who love to worship and serve God with our whole lives. But but when we look at Israel, aren't we really looking at a mirror? 
Because to some extent, don't we all say, those of us who follow Jesus, I want to live for you, and yet we don't do it perfectly. Don't, don't we see, if we're being honest with ourselves, a big gap between the faith that we profess and, and, and where we live? I know that's me. And yet, as we've seen, God is a God of grace. One of the things, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, God keeps forgiving his people over and over and over and over again. Next year, we're going to uh, preach through the book of Judges, and we're going to see that God is dealing with a messy people, the people of Israel, and yet he's such a merciful God. Because God, our God, is a God of grace, a God of mercy. When you do not measure up, Jesus has measured up for you. When you sin, he loves to forgive. You cannot out-sin Jesus' forgiveness. You, you cannot be so sinful that he doesn't love you and forgive you, no matter what's going through your heads. So what should you do? What should we all do when we find our lives not matching our profession of faith? We should run repenting into the loving, outstretched arms of Jesus. Jesus will not reject you because of your sin but he has brought you near through his love and death. He will not condemn you, but he will forgive you because he died in your place. Jesus will not take a note of your mountains of sin because he has leveled them all by dying for you. It is his beauty that covers our deformity. It is his death that deals with our sin. It is his forgiveness that wipes our slate clean so yes obey because of what Jesus has done work hard at your obedience but know that when you fail and you will God is a God of forgiveness a friend of mine Ian Powell tells a story of of a missionary and this missionary goes to a very very um, kind of remote tribe he sets up a church and people start coming to this church. And there's this one lady that comes to this church and she is a very simple lady. She can't read um, and, you, you know, even though they've got a translation of the Bible in their language, she can't read it. But she keeps saying that she meets with Jesus all the time, that Jesus every day speaks to her audibly. And the missionary is very sceptical. The missionary is very sceptical, but he doesn't want to say, you need to stop saying this. He goes up to her and says, if you're really meeting with Jesus, go and ask him a question. Go and ask him what I did when I was a teenager that I'm utterly ashamed of. Go and ask Jesus that, because only two people know what I've done, me and Jesus. Go and ask him. And she goes, I will. And the next Sunday she comes back, and she goes straight up to him and says, I have, I just asked Jesus. And he pulls it to one side. He's a bit fearful. And he said, okay, what did Jesus say? Does Jesus know my sin? What did, what did he say? And he said, she said, that Jesus said to me, I have forgotten all your sin because I've dealt with it. I have forgotten all your sin 
because I have dealt with it. The new covenant that we're a part of says that Jesus has forgotten all your sin because he's dealt with it. This is a covenant that we are in that is one of forgiveness and celebration. It is a covenant of grace and it's a covenant that requires us to obey, knowing that when we fall short, God is a God of forgiveness. So as you leave here, if you are weighed down by sin, it is my prayer today that you are more more aware of Jesus' death in your place than the weight of your sin. If, If you are here and you feel like Jesus is far from you, I hope you're reminded that Jesus has come near through his death for you. And I pray that we who have been forgiven so much by Jesus, would use the rest of this time together to celebrate all he has done. Let's let's pray, and then let's stand and sing. Oh, Father God, I thank you that you you, you didn't leave us in the dark in, in, in whether you wanted a relationship with Israel, but also with us. Lord, thank you for the covenant of forgiveness, celebration of grace that you gave to Israel. Thank you that we have got a better covenant because it is a once-for-all covenant in Jesus. Lord, I I pray, pray for those people here now that it seems like Satan has been whispering in their ear all week about their sin. Lord, may they go away knowing that they're recipients of your your grace and your forgiveness. May they walk away celebrating that fact. Lord, for those of us who who, who just feel like we're far from you, Lord, may you do a work in our hearts and our minds so that our hearts would celebrate the, 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 the beliefs that we have in our head of you. Lord, for those of us who are struggling with obedience, may we be inspired to obey because of what Jesus has done for us. And for those of us who are trying hard to obey, and yet there's some part of our lives where where it seems like we can't. It seems like we fail over and over and over again. Lord, may you help us to see how great what Jesus has done is. Can, Can you help us see that he has taken all our sin, our guilt and shame, so now we, we don't stand before you guilty. We don't stand before you forgiven. We stand before you right with you. And may we strive to obey you because of what you have done for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for all that you have done for us. Help us to live for you. Amen.